this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelts. In this episode of the Maybe Running Will Help podcast. Runners are an interesting breed uh, because I have trouble getting myself to do things. And I have trouble getting runners to stop doing things. So I... <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Maybe Running Will Help podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Tambrino, also known on Instagram as One Classy Mother Runner. In addition to being a play on words, I'm literally a mother runner. But the classy part is more about having high standards on how I behave rather than style. I'm a personal development enthusiast focusing on mindset and growth through sport. But back to why you are here. Every release, we bring you experienced guests who are connected to the community and pair their experiences with compelling research to inspire you so that you can continue to thrive through running. Our mission is to promote running as an inclusive sport, give hope to others, and motivate you to keep lacing up. I'm so glad you're here today, and I hope after listening, you'll feel motivated to subscribe to our show and share it with your friends. Finally, we love feedback. And for that reason, we highlight your reviews on the show. So don't forget to submit your ratings with comments on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream our program. Now, let's get started. Hi, from OIB, North Carolina. I am not going to take up too much of your time with this intro because I have got to hit the beach. And also, I just can't wait for you to hear from our next guest. He's one of my favorite follows on social media with his educational yet hilarious videos about the human body. Dr. Dan Janator is the most popular PT on the net, as far as I know, and for good reason. His viral stretch video to Cardi B's WAP song is the best thing I think I've ever seen. Go check it out on our Instagram page at Maybe Running Will Help and give him a follow. Oh, and one more thing, wish him a very happy birthday. Today, the Danginator turns the big three zero. Thank you, Dr. D, for spending time with me. We are wishing you a very special birthday. Now, it's time for me to soak up the sun. I hope you enjoy this super fun conversation about our interesting breed of athletes. Danginator, that kind of sounds like a superhero or something. He's a riot to watch, and I cannot get enough of his reels on Instagram. Literally, I am like for like 15 minutes just going through his Instagram. It's actually it's actually kind of distracting. Um, I learned the most helpful things I didn't even know I needed to know about, like how itching may not be a sign of dry skin and is actually a common reaction to running or something like that. Um, I tried to look it up. They really need to add an index to his IG account um, because, again, I got stuck scrolling and scrolling through all his awesome content. I'm so excited about this conversation and to grill Dr. D on what we need to know as runners. But first, I want to know what the actual, who is Dan Janator and how did he become the most popular PT on the net? Dan Janator, what's up? Do people do your name like that? Do they like combine it and you're like the Dan Janator? Yeah, I'm going to need you to go ahead and Turn that down. I've gotten all kinds of pronunciations. First of all, I'm just impressed that you nailed the pronunciation because I don't. You didn't ask me or anything. You just you just went ahead and nailed it. 
I am, I, well, I am a. I am a super genius. I don't think I'm type A, but I am a planner, especially when stuff like this, because I just love this stuff. And I love like researching people and like, especially interesting people like you. So I have to confess, I did listen to like a podcast and like right before you came on, I'm like, how did they say his name? So that is my secret. <laughs> wow, did your research. My uh, goodness. I, I mean, you're an interesting person. And like, seriously, though, I'm so excited about the first thing on my agenda because well, I just think this is going to be so fun to do with you. So I want to do a game of 20 questions. Are you up for that? Just to like kick it off kind of like a, what do they call it? Like a icebreaker. Icebreaker. Yeah, let's do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's do it. Okay. What is the first thing that you reach for every morning? Water. Oh, all right. <laughs> Answer these all right. Who is your biggest inspiration in life? This one's going to be harder. Ooh, that one is harder. My biggest inspiration in life. Um, man. Let's go classic answer. I will go with my father. Okay. I didn't mean to go from like, okay, this is going to be like <laughs> super silly to like, oh, this is serious. All right. I should have, I should have did that better. All right. Yeah. Cats or dogs? Dogs. All right. Coffee or tea? Coffee. <laughs> Beaches or snow? Beaches. Uh, high school, awesome or terrible? Wonderful. High school was wonderful for me. All right. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? Throwing another tough one in there. Ooh, anxiety. Mm. All right. Uh, how are you with uh, Zodiac, MBTI, or birth order? Do you know all three of them, and do you subscribe to e any of them? Absolutely none, no. <laughs> all right. Do you know what your love language is? My love language is acts of service, for sure. All right. Uh, are you right or left brain? Do you believe in that? Is that a thing? So every time I'm every time I'm ready to commit to one side or the other, I my I convince myself I'm the I'm on the other side. Okay. I feel like I like I feel like I play both sides. Yeah, I, you know I can see that. We're gonna talk a little bit more about that, but I but I I can see why you would say that. Um, I think that you like you're obviously very smart. You're a doctor and stuff like that, but you also have this like really funny like quirky side to you, which is like a really cool combination. So, um, not that I know exactly left brain and right brain. I think one's like numbers and the other one's like like writing and stuff like that. But you probably know more about that. Um, do you believe in ghosts? Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. Logic or creativity? Again, I feel like that's kind of like right brain, left brain. I definitely lean way more towards logic because I think even when I'm trying to be creative, I try to be creative in a logical way. Yeah. Again, you're good at both, uh, <laughs> obviously. Um, do you know your Hogwarts house? Gryffindor, yeah. <laughs> uh, ask for permission or ask for forgiveness? Oh, permission. I would, ne I, I, again, it goes back to the anxiety, but I would never do anything without explicit permission first. Yeah. Really? That's interesting. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm the opposite there. Uh, TV shows or movies? TV shows. Do you have a favorite? My favorite all time is, uh, is Breaking Bad. Okay. Uh, favorite comedy, Parks and Recreation. <laughs> um, all right. Is it okay to sleep with your socks on? No, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. So weird. Super weird. All right. Uh, let's see. I, you know what? I don't want to. Oh, all right. What do you think people will notice most about you? My height. Really? How tall are you? I'm a little over six, eight. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Hi. See, your video is like you're usually not standing next to anybody. So I didn't notice. Yeah. So the, the nice part, the nice part is I'm extraordinarily proportional. So if you have nothing, if you have nothing to scale or nothing to compare me to, I, I just look like a normal person. And my whole family's that way too. So my baby brother is 6'10, the middle brother is 6'5, and my mom is 6'2. But when wow. we take a picture, just the four of us, we look like a normal family. <laughs> but if you if you put a normal family next to us, we would no longer look that normal. All right. Um all right, cool. That so that's our 20 that's awesome. I think I like know you like pretty good now. I feel like I we're like best friends at this point. <laughs> So awesome. All right. So tell us what you do and who you treat just to start off. Like, uh, you know, yeah, professional, like obviously your Instagram, but tell us about what you do. I am currently the physical therapist inside the headquarters for finish line. So finish line, the shoe store, mm -hmm. uh, their corporate, their corporate headquarters are on the East side of Indianapolis. And I work as a physical therapist in their building. I treat both the corporate employees and the warehouse employees. Uh, there are a few thousand people that work there, if you count the warehouse employees especially. Uh, we have a medical clinic dedicated just to people that work in the building. We have a PA, a medical assistant. We even have a massage therapist. And I'm the physical therapist. And I treat all my patients one-on-one -on -one for a full hour. Dude, do they have any openings? <laughs> oh, <laughs> First of all, you need to interview with Finish Line. Uh, maybe you could be like a brand ambassador, uh, you know, advertise okay. some shoes or something like that. But but yeah, if you, if you work, yeah. So yeah, if you, and if you work for the if you work for the company, it's all included. They don't owe anything out of pocket. So that that's kind of is that was that your like kind of first physical therapy job? I mean, you're pretty young, right? I mean, I mean, I think I'm, that you look young. I'm 29. Um, <clears throat> okay, yeah. my first, my first physical therapy job was at your classic outpatient physical therapy clinic. I would treat, you know, anywhere from 12 to 18 patients a day. And I worked that job for a year and then I got promoted to the clinic director uh, after my first year of working. And so not only were was I treating 18 patients a day, but I also had six employees under me. And even at just two and a half years into the job, that started feeling like it was just so much. Mm. It, it was it was really getting to be overwhelming for me. And especially because, you know, seeing that many patients in a day, it's tough to spend enough time with people to make sure that they're getting the proper care and to make sure that I'm able to observe enough to help them in the right ways. And I was approached by my current company, uh, TX team, and they supply physical therapy clinics like this in places of work. And all they had to tell me was all your sessions are one-on-one -on -one for a full hour. And I was, I was in oh, there. Yeah. That was yeah. it. That was all it took. So I, I started at TX team in December of 2019. And that's when I was the physical therapist inside the state government center of Indiana. Uh, 8,000 employees from day one, I was packed. All the sessions were one-on-one. -on -one. The fact that we were inside the office building, nobody was ever late. There were hardly any cancellations. People were getting better. And I was convinced that that is, this is the future of physical therapy. 
We're going to find ways to get to people. It's going to be one-on-one. This is amazing. And then two months later, everybody stopped coming to work. And if there's nobody at work, I had nobody to treat. Yeah. And so instead of treating patients, I started making videos. And I think I posted my first TikTok in May of 2020. And I just, I have not stopped since. Okay. So the first video that you posted, what was it about? I think it was neck pain. I think it, or, or some kind of, kind of like neck tension leading to a headache. Here's a mobilization you could try. Do you remember why you started with that? Or like what your thought was, was like, okay, I'm going to do a TikTok. Let me do neck pain. It started because I was addicted to TikTok. Uh, in when the when the pandemic first hit and I had all this extra free time, I along with a lot of other people in my scenario downloaded TikTok and just couldn't couldn't stop, full addicted. And I started posting just the normal trends and things like that, just on a on a regular profile. And it wasn't it wasn't going anywhere. I to this day I still have that profile, but to this day okay, wait, 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 um, wait. You started posting like regular TikToks on a regular yeah. profile, like the like the dance ones, like that my teens do. Like, are you talking about like that? There were some dance ones that were posted, yes. <laughs> All right, uh, roll that up. Oh, it's private, so you can't. <laughs> it will never it will never not be private. It will never ever not be private. But they still exist. They have not been deleted, but they are uh, the public cannot see them ever. <laughs> okay. And it wasn't, it wasn't really going anywhere. And my girlfriend had always thrown out the idea that I should just post physical therapy related things. And other people had thrown out that idea as well. You should just, you know, people need stretches to do people like having those answers. So you should do that. And I, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if that'll ever work. And, and then there was one day where I saw this one chiropractor from Seattle and he had made this post and it went super viral. And I remember thinking I could do that so much better. And so I gave it a go and I was not better than him <laughs> uh, for, a, for a very long time. The learning curve was actually much higher than I thought. But now I feel like I'm in a really good spot and I have it down to a science. And, and here we are today. Yeah. Are you like posting every day? Almost. On TikTok, I try to post at least six times a week, probably somewhere between six to eight times a week. And then on Instagram, I post maybe more so three to four times a week. Okay. Yeah, because I was like, like I said, I was trying to find that one video on the itching uh, thing. And I was like scrolling and scrolling and I'm like, where is it? I can't find it. Uh, So I was like, dude. But then, of course, I learned like all this other stuff. I, I can't like not click on your videos. <laughs> Where do you get your ideas from? Like on what to post? I think like, do people ask you like, Hey, can you post on this? Or do you, are your ideas just like whatever you wake up and think about? There are certainly a few ideas that just come to me and I think, Oh, that'll be a great idea. But when I first started posting, I, I had maybe 20 to 30 really good ideas. And I got very lucky that after just 20 to 30 posts, I had already had a few thousand followers that were asking a ton of questions. Mm -hmm. And now the questions and the responses that I get to videos lead into more videos and lead into more videos and lead into more videos. So now Mm -hmm. I would say maybe 90 to 95% of my video ideas come from feedback from videos that I've posted. And it's just a a self-fulfilling loop, which is nice because 
it's hard to ever run out of ideas because people yeah. are are constantly handing them to you. And actually the runner's itch post was only because of feedback that I had gotten on a shin splint post that had gone pretty viral. I had posted about shin splints and it, it's gotten, I don't know, you know, maybe a few thousand comments. And I kept seeing people asking about runner's itch, runner's itch, runner's itch. And I had never heard of runner's itch in my life, but so many people, why do my legs get itchy when I run? Why do my legs get itchy? I was like, well, I don't know. So I Googled it. And the answer that I found was really fascinating because to me, if before I had Googled it, if somebody says, when I go out for a run, I get itchy, what's going on? It's like, well, you probably need lotion. You probably just have dry skin. But the people that were saying it say it happens, you know, within the first few minutes before they even get a chance to get sweaty. And there's, there were other people that had said, you know, there's no visible rash because some people do develop a rash, especially if they're running in the heat and, and at least, or because there's clothing rubbing against their skin or something like that, but you can see that, but they were perplexed because there was, there was no sweat and there were no visible rashes. And so I give it a, a Google and I find a, a pretty reliable source. And apparently when you're first starting exercising and your capillaries start expanding because your muscles need more blood, that expansion of the capillaries can just stimulate the nerves in a way that causes an itch. It was, it's fascinating. I, I have been running for a long time. I would never think to ask a PT why my legs itch. I, it would just always occur to me that it would because I needed lotion or maybe I brushed up against something <laughs> like grass or something like on the, like it would never, like it was just, it was so interesting. Like that was, I was like, I got to contact this guy. Like what else can you tell me that I don't know? That I don't even well, know. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's why I'd never heard of it before. Cause it doesn't happen to me and nobody had ever thought to ask me the question, but the beautiful part about TikTok is that it's just a, a common space for all kinds of problems. And <laughs> I get to just dive in there and, and almost, audit it more so than have people specifically ask me questions. And, and that's where that one was found. That's so awesome. Uh, yeah. Cause I mean, that is with social media, like every, <laughs> you're getting so many people from everywhere that you would never have access to, and they wouldn't have access to you. I, you know, I think social media gets a bad rap or it has gotten a bad rap. I love it. I think it has done so much good. Um, if you're in the right start in the, in the right space and you really protect, you know, what, spaces you're in, I think it can be a really good thing. Um, I agree. I, I view yeah. social media kind of like a tool where mm -hmm. it's like a hammer. You could do some incredibly destructive things with a hammer if you don't use it the right way. But if you use it the right way, you can build, you can build something beautiful. And I think it's all about your mindset around the tool social media that, that really shapes your experience. <music> you're like so entertaining and so funny. Like, do you have a background in like acting or comedy or anything like that? Or is this just a natural, like, have you always been funny? Are you I trying think... to be funny? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, uh, thank God. No. no, I am. I definitely, I definitely purposefully inject humor into my posts yeah. Yeah. just to keep yeah. it light so that it's not always, always super heavy. I do try to shoot for kind of a dad joke type of territory where there is like a certain level of innocence about it and is a certain level of corniness about it. Um, just to kind of more than anything, just put people at ease. Yeah. I have absolutely no background in acting or comedy, but I am obsessed with comedy. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, 
uh, most nights when I would fall asleep, I would fall asleep to a comedy album. And even to this day, I'm obsessed with stand-up comedy, and it's probably the like the number one source of of media that I that I consume. Okay. And well, so I think I... that just kind of shaped how I how I talk and how I put together a point and bring it around with a hook is just the the amount of comedy that I watch. It works. It works. Uh, I, I mean, you said you you try to make it innocent and stuff, but one of your videos was to the WAP. <laughs> you did that stretch video to that WAP song, and that was that is <gasps> hilarious. <laughs> My mom would have a heart attack if she heard that song. <laughs> right, and that was that was kind of the fun is that it's such a it's such a dirty, dirty song. And the dance and the dance that people were doing to it was, you know, super sexualized and all that. And I was like, well, you know, I could subvert this, I think, very funnily if I just took my big awkward body and in khakis and a dress shirt, just turn this super sexual dance into just basic stretches. Dude, it's the best video I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Thank it's you. So gonna... That actually means a lot. That actually means a lot because that is that is the video that I am by far most proud of that I've ever made. Are there any videos that like didn't do as well as you expected they, that you thought would do better or any videos that did better than you thought? <clears throat> there can... are, there are a lot of both. Okay. Every time the tricky thing about TikTok and even reels is the second you think you have something figured out, you've got some lane figured out. It just slaps you across the face and tells you that you're wrong. Oh yeah. Uh, so one of the more, one of my most viewed posts of all time was me introducing a knee week. And the post was basically, does your knee do this? Does your knee do that? Well, make sure you follow along because I'm going to be addressing all of this. And I, I posted it kind of as a filler because mm -hmm. I was just running out of ideas and I was like, well, I think I'm going to post on knee stuff this week. I'll just, I'll just throw that out there just so maybe 10 to 20,000 people will, will watch it and, and whatever. And it turns out that got that got thir like a 13 million views. It's got over a million and a half likes. It has over 100,000 comments, 100,000 comments on one video of people just saying what's wrong with their knee. And I was blown away. And I was like, oh, I have figured out TikTok. So what I did was that rest of that week, posted like eight videos on the knee and they all did well because they're all feeding off of that massive, massive hit. And I was like, I know. Next week, I'll do neck week. For the most part, most of my patients, they have neck pain, this and that. I copied that format, shot for shot, beat for beat, same amount of words, same length, same lighting, same everything. It was just instead of the knee, it was the neck. And I think that post ended up barely squeaking past 10,000 views. <laughs> it's so confusing to figure out. And yeah, so the second the second you think you have it figured out, the yeah. second you think you can predict it, you can't. And so yep. I've completely given up on trying to predict things. I just try to make good videos and I yep. just put it out there and whatever happens, happens. Um, what have you learned by posting on social media? I guess we talked about like that runner's itch thing. That was something that came up that you didn't know about. Is there anything else that has come up that like, you know, just one thing that maybe is, was really interesting that came up that you didn't know about? Not one thing in particular, but I think one thing that just continues to surprise me is just the lack of education about the human body that people receive. 
And it's to no fault of their own. And it's not because people are, are dumb or stupid or anything, or anything like that. It's just that the information is, is just not reaching a bunch of people. And every time I do have a post that does go viral, the comment section is almost kind of disheartening in that the, the questions that people are asking, to me, they seem so simple. And also a big reason why I never started posting to social media in the first place until I had all the free time in the world because of the pandemic is because I interpreted these things that I would have shared as being so simple that, you know, who would, who would relate to it because it, everybody should know it. Right. And I could not, I could not have been more wrong. Okay. What I consider to be simple is still, is still just not being shared a lot. And so that's what I, I try to do with my profile. Where did you see yourself now, 10 years ago? I probably just saw myself as being your average run-of-the-mill physical therapist. Uh, hopefully have found a way to get into athletics and, you know, treating a more athletic population base, maybe owning my own clinic, something like that. But social media never was even a thought. It yeah. wasn't even a because on my on my normal pages, you know, my Instagram, I'm the type of Instagram user that posts once every three months, maybe, uh, you know, like four or five, six posts in a year tops. Right. It's just not something not something that I do is share on social media. And so that had never. That had never, ever crossed my mind as something that I could do as something that I would I would be doing. But what do you think that person 10 years ago would think about what you're doing right now? I don't think Dan 10 years ago would have believed anybody that tried to tell him that that was something that was going to happen. Could even, you imagine? Yeah, no, I couldn't. <laughs> even like my friends now, and again, it's not like I'm an influencer, but they, they, they just say, you know, you being on social, it just doesn't fit your personality at all. And I was like, I know. But what, what you're seeing on social media, that's not me, that's, that's work me. Mm -hmm. So when I'm in a physical therapy clinic, I am outgoing, I'm extroverted. I talk with people, I'm comfortable with people. I do whatever I can to help people. But in my, in my normal life, I am much, much more quiet, much more reserved. If I'm in a, if I'm, if I'm at a table sitting, you know, a big, a big dinner table sitting with 10 people, I will for sure say the least, unless people start peppering me with questions. People that know me from the internet would be shocked to see how I, how I am in, in my normal life. And people in my normal life are shocked that I'm, I'm big on the internet. So it it kind of cut, it cuts both ways. Where do you see this in, I mean, we don't have to take it 10 years out, five years out. Do you, what do you, do you think that far ahead or? No, no. I'm yeah. more of a, I'm more of a month by month kind of thinker. Yeah. I don't have year, a yearly goal sounds insane to me like that. <laughs> that sounds crazy. It's so far. It's so long. So much so can happen. Right. Anything can happen. Yeah. So I'm, I'm more of a month to month kind of person, but uh, I certainly will keep this going as long as people keep watching and listening and caring. Yeah. And this year it's, Last year, I made just as much doing social media stuff as I made in my normal physical therapy job. Uh, 
And this year it's on pace to be my number one source of income. And so it's completely, it's completely changed everything really. Yeah. The total trajectory of your life is, can be just this completely different path now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm just, just riding the wave month by month, seeing where it goes. All right, let's get to some of the the running stuff. So, all right. Yes, we're here now. You're Doctor <laughs> Doctor Dan. The doctor is in. Um, <laughs> so you had one video on there, and it was you like when clients say it only hurts when I don't move. There are two main reasons why I I really love that phrase. The first is that physical therapy me. If I have a patient that says. My quad is super tight and super sore when I'm sitting at my office job. But when I go play basketball or when I go work out in the gym, it feels totally fine. That is a great sign that physical therapy will solve all of their issues. Because all it means is that when you're loose and moving and you have blood going through that muscle and it's and it's flexible and contracting and relaxing, contracting, relaxing, everything feels fine. Whatever is wrong in that quad feels fine as long as everything is optimized because it's moving and there's blood flowing. It only hurts when you give it a chance to slow down enough and and maybe don't move your knee for four hours because you're locked into a uh, to some kind of deadline at work or whatever it is. And all we have to do is figure out how to keep that more flexible or keep that strong and active on a more constant basis, which is, I mean, that's physical therapy one-on-one. That's that's one of the first things you learn is just how to take a, a muscle and make it more flexible and make it stronger on a on a daily on a daily basis. So that's part one of why I love that phrase is because it means that physical therapy is has a very high likelihood of working for that person. Yeah. Uh, the second reason is that you know a big reason why I work out it's not to it's not to be in better shape. It's not to look a certain way. It's because it just does wonders for my mental health. When I, when I do feel anxious and I do feel worried about things and I go in and I just bust ass and work out like crazy, I feel a hundred percent better afterwards. All of a sudden those things I was stressing about no longer matter. And so I also like to use that phrase just to remind people that is what like is what you're dealing with is that true anxiety is that is that true depression or have you just been sedentary for too long and you just need to go out for a walk and that walk can completely shift your mood and so those two reasons put together are a big reason why i like that phrase so much i think i mean this whole community is going to relate to the mental health aspect of moving and running and it's such a a big part of our, our you know the running community are you a runner I used to run a lot more. Um, I, I'm certainly not a runner, but when I was going through my growing pains, and I never had a true growth spurt, but from maybe seventh grade to my senior year in high school, I either grew two or three inches every, every single year. And it took forever for my body to catch up and figure out I was a, like a baby giraffe for a very long period of time. And the summer between my sophomore and junior year, I was just sick of it, but I had no training knowledge. I had no idea what to do. I was too scared to go into a gym and, or get a trainer because I knew I was weak because I, my muscles hadn't even caught up with my bones yet. Uh, and the only thing I felt comfortable doing was going to the track and running. Mm-hmm. 
And that's all I did. I would just, I would just go to the track and run. And I feel like I just ran my awkwardness out of my body. <laughs> and by the time we got to my junior year of varsity basketball, I was one of the faster kids and one of the more athletic kids on the team. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so it worked. And so I have a yeah, great yeah. relationship with running. I have never learned how to pace myself and run longer than a 5K. Uh, okay. That seems to be my built-in max. But I will say, and I don't know if this will be impressive at all to the <laughs> community of runners that listen to this, uh, but my best 5K time is 1919. And yes. I did that, did that my freshman year of college. And I don't think I'll ever get back to that time. Uh, but I, that is one thing that I, that I hang my hat on. That is solid. That's a solid time. You were into baseball. You wanted to be a professional baseball player, right? Yeah. It's the only thing I've ever wanted to be in my whole life. I had the opportunity to play division one baseball. I was a pitcher my freshman year because of my frame and inexperience and uh, my level of talent, I was getting attention from scouts as to maybe, you know, basically just like getting, getting into their book as somebody to track and somebody to follow along with, not because of how talented I was at that time, but because of how much they, they saw what my ceiling could be. And due to a mixture of shoulder issues throughout the year, due to a mixture of maybe just not taking it as seriously as I could have, and also just tapping out my genetic talent, that mm -hmm. is that ended up being the peak of my baseball career, mm -hmm. was my freshman year of uh, college baseball, having a high ceiling, but never coming close to it. And I did end up uh, playing all four years. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a four year division one baseball player, but that was, that was my, that's where I, I tapped out. And then did that kind of transition over to wanting to treat athletes in the physical therapy kind of sense? Like, so you could still take that passion and be involved in the sport, but from a different side of it, I guess. hundred percent. Yeah. So after, uh, after I started struggling with injuries and after I, feel like a big reason why I never got close to my ceiling was just due to a lack of, of knowledge. I just didn't know the right things to do. Those were two things that I set out when I first got to physical therapy school as things that I would provide to others is mm -hmm. that I would make sure that I would share as much information as possible so that kids that were in my position have all the information necessary to take advantage of it should they choose and keep things and keep try to keep kids healthy throughout throughout their career so that they're not limited by an injury that could have been prevented back to running what um what's kind of like the most common advice you give to runners the most common advice i give to runners it is probably just strengthening maybe probably strengthening of the hips more than anything oh yeah. uh because runners especially runners uh the the foot over foot the straight line 
does a really good job of building up the quads, even does a really good job of building up the um, the hamstrings, and of, of course, you know, building up the, the calves because you're just moving in that straight line. But one thing that can go ignored when only moving in a straight line is the those side hip muscles, those those glute meds, those glute mins, and and especially if towards the the back half of a run, if you feel like you're starting to lose control of your knees or you're starting to feel like a little wobbly or feeling a little baby giraffe, a lot of times it's because the thing that has gone ignored is is the strength in the side of the hips that are now fatigued because you don't spend enough time really focusing on them. And as those muscles give out, now all of a sudden your knees are getting all wonky on you, even though your quads and calves and hamstrings have plenty of plenty of gas left in the tank. Now, I don't like doing any of that hip flexor stuff but there's something I hate worse. So I had to clarify if that was actually our weakest muscle. The weakest muscle in a runner. So I think, I think for me, I, I would have to say size, I would say the si- size of the hips. Yeah. What about, what about our hamstrings? We hate like doing hamstring stuff. Like honest to God, like get that ball away from me. That's true. So that is true because especially for endurance runners, there's not a lot of hamstring activation. I guess I was thinking kind of like uh, towards like my sprinters or like my explosive runners that do. But yeah, hamstrings, hamstrings and and glute meds are are ignored for sure. Uh, That's all I'm doing. All I'm doing right now is there. But the the strongest quads and calves you'll ever see. That's right. At least we've got that. Oh, and don't even talk about our upper body because that's not. What's an upper body? <laughs> I try to do like a pull up. I'm like, well, I don't need to do this for running. What? Why? No, I've um, never heard of an upper body. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, I. You know what I want to ask you about? This is something that I. I don't know if I want to say struggle with, I just notice it. And I think it's weird. Like people might think restless leg syndrome. Like if I'm sitting on a plane or I'm like watching TV, like my legs are nonstop, like moving, bouncing up and down, like so much. So I was on a plane and I like told the person, I'm like, I'm sorry, I have restless legs. And like, I don't know, like what to tell you, what, like, what is that about? Like, I don't think I've ever really asked anybody. I just assumed it was just energy stored up or something. Restless leg syndrome is a misfiring of the nerves in the legs that just lead to that that jittery feeling. And it's actually not something that is super well understood. Okay. And normally things that are not that well understood is just because there are so many different causes. Okay. Uh, as far as like a deficiency, uh, an iron deficiency is a very common cause. A vitamin D deficiency can be a cause. Um, also... There are very, very active people like yourself that have it the second they have to sit down for a while. And there are extremely sedentary people that don't move at all that get it because they don't move. So it's, oh. it's, there's really kind of a, a multitude of things, but for the most part, it is just treated with either iron or vitamin D or something of that kind. Okay. Uh, or when it does come on, you just kind of got to treat the symptom and just kind of move around a little bit. Guys, I almost forgot. Shout out to Joey Mack from Tampa who wrote the following review about episode six with the running legend Bart Yasso. 
Incredible conversation with Bart Yasso. He was so personable and told such great stories about his life before running, the many people he's met through running across the world, and a wonderful autistic boy that he befriended later on. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode, and I've also enjoyed the ones before. Nikki is an incredible host, and she adds little bits of flair with sound drops and music to keep the conversation entertaining. It is a must-listen for any runner, no matter your skill level or tenure with running. Look me square in the eyes and tell me you love me. Thank you so much, Joey, and everyone who has rated and reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts. It truly helps us reach more listeners and promote our message that maybe running will help. You're going to love this, and I think the people listening are going to love this. The worst advice you could ever give to a runner is stop running. Favorite doctor, Danjanator. That kind of sounds like a superhero or something. The worst, the absolute worst advice. If for no other reason, then simply they are not going to listen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. but also, but also if you're treating a runner, one thing that I feel like you have to understand as a practitioner is that that is their source of happiness. That is their source of fulfillment. And you can't take that away from them because that is a lot of times how runners identify. They identify as a runner. You can't take, you can't take that away. And so it's terrible advice because you have to find some way to work around it. You have to be creative. You have to find some way to keep that person running that does not involve a stoppage. You post a... Uh bunch of videos i don't know if it's just recently about pain being in your head and i love that because i'm like oh dude that means like maybe if we can figure that out we can push through the pain a little bit further especially for endurance athletes so can you talk a little bit more about that and how we can use that as runners pain is a lot more complicated than a lot of people want to give it credit for I think a lot of people view pain as a sense like sight, like we all look at something, we all see the same thing or a, a sense like smell where if we're cooking in the kitchen, we can all smell the same thing. But pain is something that is completely different, pure, mostly because there's no such thing as a pain receptor in the body. You don't have pain receptors. You have nociceptors, which are technically more closely related to threat, threat receptors. They're in your body to recognize when something is too hot to touch or mm -hmm. something is, is possibly causing trauma or, or there's a cut in the area. Those nociceptors send that level of threat and then the brain has to interpret what type of symptoms to send to that body part, sending the threat signals based on mostly prior experiences and, and where you are. That's why if, you know, Let's use the stove, for instance. If let's say there's been something very, very cold sitting on the stove that should have been in the freezer for, for like an hour. And then finally put it in the freezer, it's no longer there, and you didn't know it was there, but you go to touch it. Your first instinct is to gonna be is gonna be pull it away. That was super hot. I think I'm burned. Mm. Because the same the same nociceptor that interprets heat also interprets cold. And in that context, your brain is like, that is so hot, get it off of there, that hurt, when there was actually no threat whatsoever. And so pain 
is a lot more malleable once you are able to re to change the context in which you're interpreting threat. Okay. So I'm at mile 20 of a marathon. How do I like change my perspective on my pain at that point? So you know that you're at mile 20. You know that what your feet have been through, you know what your legs have been through, you know, uh, you know exactly what your body has been through. You can, you can contextualize that. Your brain is freaking out because it wants you to stop running because running that much at one time is an insane thing to do. And your brain is begging you to stop. But the best thing you can do in that scenario, because you don't want to stop, you're not going to stop. Stopping is not an option is to just say, okay, my brain is interpreting all the threat of running 20 miles. I know why it's trying to send signals of pain. I know why it wants me to stop. I know what's happening. And just that recognition of what's happening reduces pain and symptoms. The best thing that you can do is to stay calm, analytical, and logical about why are you, why you are getting those sensations of threat. There was a, a huge study that was run and I, I've had trouble finding it, but it's something that we went over in school where there were patients being treated for low back pain and all the patients were put in different groups. One group of patients did general exercise. One group of patients did specific core exercises. One group of patients did medication only. One group of patients did nothing at all. And one group of patients was just given a pamphlet on pain science, the science of pain, and why threatening signals from the lower back can cause pain. And the group that had, there were two groups that did far better than the rest. Um, and the group that did the best was just the group that received the pamphlet and mm. just learned how to contextualize their pain. And actually the group that did the second best is the group that did general exercise. Okay. So just learning how to contextualize your pain can be far more advantageous than almost anything you could possibly do. And if I got the real specifics of that study wrong, I apologize, but that is the that is the take home message of of that study is that just understanding and contextualizing does more for pain than almost anything else. Like here's something, like if I'm if I'm doing a workout and I am running really, really hard and my pace matches that. So I'm running, I'm running hard and my pace says I'm running a pace that seems hard to me. I'm motivated and I feel better than if I'm running really, really hard, but my pace looks like it's less than it should be. Then all of a sudden I feel like I want to stop and like, this isn't worth it. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's yep. like, yeah, it's more, again, context is everything. So the yeah. placebo effect, the reason that works and the most um for for the placebo effect the most successful studies have done have been done for anxiety and for pain because both of those things are so context heavy and when you give somebody a pill and you say this pill will help your anxiety or this pill will help your pain and that person that's giving you that pill is in a white coat and they're speaking confidently and you take that pill you fully expect that it's going to do what they say and that is the context. And whatever effect you get, if your anxiety suddenly eases or your pain suddenly eases, that means that 
that level of anxiety that you were feeling that has gone away or that level of pain that you were feeling that was gone away is purely based on the context of what your your brain is interpreting. You know what? I wanted to ask you about rice because, okay, of course, like that is something that we're all familiar with, the, you know, rest, ice, compression, elevation. Yeah. yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, but there is some controversy over the ice, icing mm -hmm. piece of it. So what is your take on that? Because I've talked to people that have kind of different views on it. The more research that comes out on ice, the more it seems like, if anything, it slows down the healing process. Now, does the does it slow it down enough to make a huge difference? Maybe not. It's only been really shown at a molecular level and a, and a really small level. Uh, I, as far as I know, there haven't been any long-term studies on people that, and again, it's really tough to replicate because you would need two people to have the same exact injury and have the same exact healing processes. So to look at it in a functional sense is near impossible. Mm -hmm. On a molecular level, though, the, the ice does seem to at least have an effect into, in slowing down the healing process. Um, so in general, ice is not anything that I will suggest, recommend, or rely on unless we get to the point to where, again, just an, it's, it's more of an out of options kind of thing for me. Mm -hmm. Or if I have a patient that swears up and down, <laughs> ice makes me feel 100% better after I do this, then 100% of the time, we're icing. That it is yeah. what it is. Right, right. I have not I have not seen anything to show that it's completely and totally detrimental, especially not if that person swears up and down that it makes them feel 100% better. Right, even if it's in their head, like if that works right. for them, so be it. Yeah, what? and if that's how they if that's how they contextualize their pain because again, that's what it is at the end of the day, and yep. ice is their placebo or ice is their or is their is their magic fix or whatever you want to call it then it works. If yeah. period end of story, if they right. tell you it works, it works. Yep. Yep. Um, what is your, you, you have like a substitute for that, right? Like a different acronym or like what you yes. tell people to <laughs> the, Well, the current, the current acronym is peace and love. Aww. And it is so long that it's impossible to remember, which is why nobody will ever remember it. But the, the P is for protection. The E is still for elevation. The, the C is still for compression. There's an A in there. Again, I don't even have it remembered. Okay. Basically, basically yeah. Basically, <laughs> the uh, the the peace and love just takes away the ice and encourages early movement. Okay. So it, mean, it takes yeah takes away the takes away the pure rest, encourages early movement, and takes away the ice. All right. Cool. No, that's a good summary. That's good enough. I mean, I can barely even remember <laughs> the right, right acronym. So I mean. I'll just, you know, refresh myself with the video. But I mean, even if I did know it, like, like the ice to me, like I never do that anyway, because I just don't like being cold. So like, I would always there you do go. that anyway, so. What about your best advice for new runners? Best advice for new runners is to start slow. I will always tell runners that are, and again, my, I mostly treat people that have been hurt and try to get back into running. I'm not, I don't, I don't really work with people that are trying to get into running out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. uh, so at least from the context of that, 
I always start them on their return to running protocol. And I tell them that you are not to progress to the next level of the protocol until you feel like the current level is frustratingly easy. I want you to be able to dominate this current level of the protocol and be itching like crazy to move up before you would ever make a jump too soon and then have a setback. And so for me, the advice is always, you'll get to the same end goal anyway. My end goal for you is your end goal, but you're way better off taking six months, taking it slow than trying to get there in four months, risking a setback. And now all of a sudden you're at, you're, it's going to take 10 months. What about for like aging runners? Do you have any different advice for people who are getting older running, whether they're new or not? Like, what do we need to be cautious of? So the worst advice, like I said, is to tell a runner to stop running. I will, till the end of time, work with somebody on trying to do something that they want to do, whether it's weightlifting or playing a sport, no matter what it is. I will work with you to build strength in any weakness that you're showing build mobility and any tightness that you're showing. Uh, If I can't get you there, I'll try to refer you to people. Mm -hmm. But if it gets to the point where you have maxed out your options and you've built strength everywhere that you're weak, you've tried, you've tried adjusting your, your training schedule. You've, you've tried building mobility. You've even seen a specialist. You've gotten imaging. You've exhausted your options. Then the discussion becomes what, can we replace running with that would fill the same goal that would not cause the symptoms that you're having? Yeah. Maybe it's biking, maybe it's swimming, maybe it's, you know, just fast walking. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a course, that's of course a much tougher conversation. Right. Um, but I would say for older runners, exhaust every option. If running is the thing in, lo- in, in life that you enjoy the most, Find somebody that's willing to work with you to exhaust every option to keep your running. But also be humble enough. Mm-hmm. If you do exhaust all those options, be humble enough to find something to replace that with that gets you to feel at least roughly the same way mm-hmm. that will not destroy your ankle or not destroy your knee. Because finding something to replace running with that gives you. of what running gives you is way better than continuing to run and being in crippling pain every day. What is the weirdest question anyone has asked you? The weirdest question that anyone has asked me, I get at least a few times a day and it's how tall are you? I've never understood. (laughs) I don't think it's any different than walking up to somebody and be like, Hey, how long is your hair? Or, Hey, you know, what size is your shoe? Right. Or it's like, it's just meaningless. And you, you would never walk up to somebody and ask them how much they weigh. Right. Like, what is, what does it matter how tall I am? You can see that I'm tall. (laughs) You don't have to ask. So what do you do? Do you just tell them and like, you're just like, whatever. It depends on how politely they approach me. Oh. If, if they're really nice and sincere and they clearly are just looking for an answer and then they'll walk away, I will tell them six, eight, like I'll, I'll let them know yeah. if they, if they came up to me and they're like being snarky and a little rude and, 
and are clearly saying it to mess with me, I will stare them in the eyes and I'll tell them that I'm 5'10". <laughs> and I'll say I'm only 5'10 if I get a good night's rest. If not, I'm probably closer to 5'9". <laughs> That's great. I love it. Um, <clears throat> what is the best question that anyone's asked you? The best, ooh. So the best question I've ever been asked was uh, by my girlfriend. Um, in the pandemic, we had all kinds of conversations, much like anybody else. And I think this, either when I first started posting on TikTok or, or maybe before I, I started, it was right around the start of it, whenever it was. She asked me, what fulfills you that doesn't rely on other people? Hmm. And I didn't have an answer. Every every sense of fulfillment that I get is from either helping other people or talking to other people or or reliant on how I make other uh, make other people feel. And I I didn't have an answer. And I don't know if I still I think I don't I still don't have an answer. Um, I'd like to hear an answer from somebody on that. I don't have an answer for that. The closest, so the closest thing that I've gotten to an answer since is, and it's going to sound silly, but if I make a really good TikTok, if I make a really good video, and I'm talking like I am so proud of it that I could post it and it would get zero views and I would still be just as proud of it, I think that is my source of fulfillment, is when I take an idea in my head and I execute it to a level to where I am so happy with it that no, it could get no engagement at all and it wouldn't change how I feel about it. Okay. I think that is that is my closest thing to self-fulfillment that I've that I've gotten. Does that is that because you feel like well, it wouldn't be because you're being understood because it doesn't depend on other people, but mm -hmm. because you're getting out something clearly out of your head. Yes. And like down, I get that. I I can get on board with that. Yes. I mean, I could I could easily say running because that doesn't really depend on anybody else. Right. I guess like, I could. Yeah. Breaking a PR or just being really proud of a pace one day, yeah. or yeah, or just even just feeling really crappy one day, but getting in a good run. Yeah. Like that's all you. That's yeah. all. That is all self fulfillment for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think I gotta take the easy way out on that one because otherwise, <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't really know what I'd say. Um. What do you wish more people would ask you? I don't know. Ever since this whole social media thing, I feel like I get nothing but questions. Like I feel yeah. like I've been asked. I feel like I've already been asked everything under the sun. Uh, I, I'm not really wanting for any more questions. I don't think. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy to answer any question for sure. Yeah. But I don't think except there's any. Except I'll tell you. Except I'll yeah, tell you. <laughs> That one does get old. Uh, but yeah, I don't think there's any there's any more questions. There's no question that I'm dying to answer. Okay. All right. That's fair. Fair. Like, so being kind of, I mean, it sounds like in your everyday life, you're more introverted. Mm -hmm. Is that so does doing stuff like this? Is that hard for you? Like the podcast stuff? I mean, I know that TikTok, I mean, I get I'm I can be introverted too. And I get that making content, like you kind of can do that in a way that doesn't feel, cause it's all in your control, but like in social situations, like it's harder. So does doing stuff like podcasts, is that, is that hard for you or not really? Nope, not at all. Yeah. Because, uh, so 
at a wedding, let's say at a wedding, on the dance floor, or if I don't know the, the group of people that I'm going to be sitting with, I am anxiety ridden. Mm-hmm. I don't know who I'm sitting with. It's a, it's a, it's a social type of anything could happen. Any kind of conversation could pop up. That is where I will stay borderline silent just because I'm too anxious to, to speak. But I've officiated a wedding. Uh, I officiated a wedding for two of my friends and so sitting at a, like sitting at a table at a reception, people I don't know, super anxious, but I've officiated a wedding. I wrote the whole wedding. I wrote everything and I crushed it and it went great and I enjoyed it. But at dancing at the wedding afterwards, super anxious. What is that? I'm the same way. What is that? Like I can do this all day long. I can stand in front of people and talk like whatever, but like get me in that small situation and, or like, I don't like small talk. Like I'd rather get into a deep mm-hmm. conversation with somebody like, well, I wonder what that is. I, I, would... I think it's, I think it is. I think it, it revolves around control. Huh. When I officiated the wedding, I don't think that I had any issue because I was in, I was in complete control. I wrote the whole thing. I knew how I was going to go. I could envision it before I got there. When I, when I, when I do public speaking, I think a big part of it is if I can envision how it will go before I get there, I'm fine. Right. If I'm walking into an unknown situation where I have no idea how it's going to play out, I will be extraordinarily anxious. Oh, dude, that's like the best explanation ever. Like, that's so true. Like, that's exactly what it is. It's the control thing. Yeah. How am I just learning this now? (laughs) (laughs) I've thought about it. I have thought about it so much because it, it really stinks because if you're normal, you're supposed to be afraid of putting yourself out there on social media, or you're supposed to be afraid of public speaking. Those are things that make sense to be afraid of. It doesn't make sense to be afraid of going to dinner with 80 with friends. You already know that. Right, right, right. But that's what drives the anxiety. I love that you've already thought about it for both of us. And now (laughs) I don't have to think about it anymore. That's awesome. Um, What is your favorite fact about the human body? Because I know you already have one, so. My favorite fact about the human body is that the longest muscle is the sartorius. And I don't know why, but it's not, no, it's not that fun and it's not that interesting, but uh, it's my, I guess I'm weird. I don't know. The longest muscle runs from your uh, anterior superior iliac spine and runs to your, your medial knee across, across the quads. It it kind of follows it all the way down. And uh, when you're trying to remember the sartorius, you get the same sartorius. (laughs) <laughs> and it, there's my fun fact nobody finds it fun i even po- i've posted it <laughs> i've posted it on tiktok a few times and nobody cares and it gets a thousand views and i get embarrassed and i delete it but one of these days i will try to find a way to show how fun and interesting the sartorius is i think you've just i just have it wrong. yeah just <laughs> say the... yeah. sartorius yeah <laughs> i think i haven't uh... figured... That's it. That's the key to making that interesting for everyone. So the missing link. That is. Um, All right. So final thoughts. Do you have any? um, I mean, it can be whatever you want. Um, Sometimes I ask people how running will help. I mean, maybe running will help. But if you have like a mantra, anything, like final thoughts for you know runners specifically that you can leave us with. Runners are an interesting breed. Uh, because I have trouble getting myself to do things 
and I have trouble getting runners to stop doing things. So <laughs> I, I think uh, <laughs> I think that we are so different that there's not a lot of crossover for for mantra because my mantra is basically just stop being lazy and just go at least do a little something. And every single person here listening, their mantra is today I should try to do a little less. And so I don't, I don't think, I don't think there's a lot of, there's not a lot of crossover that I could help with. That's awesome. You're so fun. You're so funny. That is so funny. <laughs> All right. Well, that's great. I really appreciate your time. This is like super fun conversation. It's going to be a really great episode. I'm excited. Yeah, I had a great it. time. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. I appreciate, um, I appreciate your time and, um, <clears throat> Thanks for checking out another episode of the Maybe Running Will Help podcast. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share the show if you enjoyed this content. Oh, and tag us on Instagram and Facebook so that we can thank you for helping us to grow and reach more people with the intention of providing hope to others through our community. Together, we can show others that running and our community will help. Have a great run, everybody. Sounds like a superhero or something. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs>